Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Womanhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and today we have a very special guest. Her name is Isabella Esquivel Ventura. She is a Mexican freelance consultant in public policy and gender. And today we will be talking about Mexico's feminist foreign policy. Isabella, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Hi, Natalia. Thank you. Thank you so much to you for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Isabella, for your time. I'm so excited to um, address this topic with you. You have written several articles on Mexico's feminist foreign policy. So maybe we can um, start with that question. What is your take or what is the main, what are the main characteristics of this Mexico's feminist foreign policy? Thank you, Natalia. Thank you for addressing this topic. I think we need more more um, opportunities to talk about it because what we have in the Mexican experience, um, the most known uh, version about feminist foreign policy is the official one. So for that, I think that it is very important to talk about it from other, uh, other fields, other experiences. Um, in my experience, well, I, I used to work in many process about public incidents, uh, public policy design, overall with an emphasis uh, on gender uh, issues. And since, since there, I uh, started to, to see and to, to know more about feminist foreign policy in general in other countries. And I was really interested. I thought that it was a great opportunity to to put into the international agenda that feminism is not only a, a topic agenda, it's also about how we do foreign policy. And I was really interested on that because I first, uh, first I studied the bachelor's degree in, in international relations. And for that, well, I was interested, but then because uh, in the extent in which I, used to work in public policy and gender, I was really excited to hear about it. And, and I was thinking how a feminist foreign policy could help for the national and local processes about public policy and gender. And in the Mexican experience, what I saw is that it was a different process. And honestly, since my professional view and personal view as a feminism, as a feminist, sorry, uh, I thought that it, it was uh, really, um, I don't know the word, the correct word, but I thought it's what, it, it was not a good process for us, for women in Mexico, the feminist foreign policy uh, launch. Mm -hmm. And it is because uh, I realized that it started with a discourse from our uh, foreign policy minister, uh, at the General Assembly and the United Nations. And it was just a discourse and we couldn't have more information and all overall official information more than the discourse. So finally in January uh, in 2020, uh, the, the Foreign Policy Ministry launched again now, now in Mexico the, this idea, this, this intention 
about feminist foreign policy and they uh, explained that it, a feminist foreign policy for Mexico consists in five points. These fi those five points were about a lot of commitments that the Mexican government government already had after or in or due to the Mexican law that we have right now, such as, for example, a par gender parity and in the public positions. In this case, it was about parity in the, in the uh, foreign service positions. Uh, also about addressing and ending uh, violence against women within the ministry, women from the public the public service in that in the men in the ministry, and other other uh, ideas or topics that were considered already in our national law. For that reason, what I realized is that it was like a. Uh, they were recycling the commitments uh, that we already have and, and we had to, to, uh, to cross a historical process to, ar to arrive there. And they were taking those commitments, those, those obligations for the public institutions in Mexico to put them as a feminist foreign policy. And I thought, what is this? I, th I thought it was really uh, an offense from our government government right now. Uh, and I started to talk with you and with other colleagues about this, about how uh, it, is, it is necessary to consider other points of view to, to, uh, to in the best uh, case, to, to apport something different and important for the foreign policy in Mexico overall if it tries to to be a feminist one so i think that right now uh, the the good thing we had after that that launch is that many of our colleagues international relations colleagues and from other fields started to talk to join and to talk about feminist foreign policy in mexico and now we have a bigger discussion about it and about how could uh, could we uh, see and visualize this uh, public policy? After all, a foreign policy is a public policy also. And, and I think that it, that's a good thing. We started to talk and to join and to, to uh, collaborate to propose another thing, another, another foreign policy that could address uh, from the field what do we see as a feminist one. Wow, a lot to tackle, um, Isabella. I really enjoy um, listening to you and all these views because, you know, all these feminist foreign policy models, uh, they often get, you know, in the trend vibe, like it is trendy now. And, you know, we congratulate governments for taking the approach, but we don't necessarily, you know, like look whether or not the implementation is actually fulfilling, which is why like your work, the work of the Observatory of Mexico's Feminist Foreign Policy, that's also a very young organization here in Mexico, as well as the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy in the UK, 
and many others um, are doing the job of monitoring and actually figuring out ways. <laughs> Is this really feminist or not? Um, but I want to um, just to give a, a point of view for um, the listeners if they're not into or understanding what the feminist foreign policy of Mexico entails. Um, the strategy will be implemented over the 2020-2024 period and is based in five points that Isabella just um, connected. The first one is foreign policy with a gender perspective and a feminist agenda abroad. The second one is parity within the foreign ministry. A fair, uh, the third one, a foreign ministry free of violence that is safe for all. Number four, um, visible equality, and number five, feminism in all areas of the foreign ministry. And Mexico is um, Mexico's government is saying that this is going to be the first Latin American country to adopt a feminist foreign policy, which is why it was so trendy when the announcement came. Um, which brings me to two questions for you. And the first one is, why call it a model? of feminist foreign policy if it's just an announcement. <laughs> I mean, if it's not completely developed into a plan like we see with, you know, Canada or France or Sweden that have like even a handbook, they have a web page, <laughs> you know, they go like the full route to tell you all what, you know, what each point entails first. And second is that you said that there's this problem, I think, in many countries that they think of feminism as a topic idea, but not necessarily on the way on that they do uh, foreign policy. And um, maybe to explain what's the difference between the two approaches and yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. Really good uh, questions. Um, I think about the first one uh, is that we have in, in every, public management and public policy, we have to consider also the processes and the cycle of these kind of processes. So uh, as I said before, a foreign policy is a public policy uh, and it's uh, around and, and oriented from the uh, public management or, and public administration. So. For that, we need to consider that for designing a public policy, even a governmental policy, it is very important and necessary to address all its characteristics, such as the cycle, the cycle in public policy. It means that we need to consider the public agenda. And in this case, the uh, public agenda comes from feminist agenda, feminist social agenda. We have a big one, uh, as in many other countries in Mexico, we have uh, a big and, and wide movement with women and feminists and other social actors that have uh, put into the public debate all the topics that we need to address in order to achieve gender equality and in order to have a, an exercise or human rights. So since that, we, we have to start with that. A public policy should be designed with this participation, this public participation. And, and, that, and for that, since that point only, we could not consider 
that a discourse or an initiative, an unilateral initiative from the government could be a public policy. Uh, so I think for that, it is really important to, to start with this point. But after that, as you mentioned, we need also to address all the other elements or components that a public policy implies, such as uh, a general design, uh, uh, consideration about how to implement this, uh, the, the contents of uh, this design, how to monitor and how to evaluate. So all the, all the public policy cycle. And for that, I think that we missed a lot because uh, from the first mention in the discourse at the United Nations of our minister, uh, since then we didn't have information, official information and overall structured information about a, a foreign policy design. We were also, uh, this discourse was on September 2019. And at that moment in the federal government in Mexico that started one year before, we didn't have already the, the national planning uh, uh, launched. I, I, I mean, we were in a period where the governmental policies and public policies uh, led by the government were in the, in the design process yet. So since that, uh, this launch was only a discursive one. We didn't have enough information about that. And for that, it was really a question and discussed uh, among many of the feminist, feminists in the social movements and also from specialists. I was also uh, uh, sharing some uh, reflections on, on this launching in the beginning. So for that, that, I think that's one important point. And the other one uh, you mentioned, I think that feminism is, a historical movement process theory and a lot of things that we have first to understand. Even for, for women, for feminists, for, for social actors, it is really difficult to understand what feminist is. Uh, we are in a constant process to, to know what it is, what is its extent, uh, what it talks about and all that. And what I've been looking in many experiences overall in government experiences or other social actors in other spaces is that it is very easy to use this word as an adjective in times in which, in times in which uh, women and feminist movements are having an important visibilization about or, or demands or, or human rights demands. And I think it is an example about that. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, what I see in the Mexican experience with feminist foreign policy is that it's very easy to take this uh, idea from other countries that, uh, as you mentioned, these other countries like Sweden uh, have a, a, a particular process that we need to see, to understand. We cannot copy the same process, but in the other hand, we cannot 
either take, uh, take it easy and just put the adjective, uh, the feminist adjective <laughs> into a foreign policy. I think it's more than that. And we need to start a big process. So uh, yeah, and what we have learned uh, from the, for example, the gender equality mainstreaming uh, skills that we have developed uh, in, in, in every spaces, in public policy and in uh, social management and public management and all that, what we can see is that gender equality mainstreaming is, is, um, is a tool. It's a tool for a start uh, an important transformation that we need within uh, the institutions, the public institutions, in order to start another bigger process, a social process that is gender equality and women human rights in general. But it's only a tool. And feminism, it's more than a tool. Uh, it's also, it could be, uh, it contains also uh, important tools for us, but we have to find this difference. So I think that there is a, a preoccupation and an intention uh, about a question, questioning gender equality mainstreaming as a tool and toss it aside. Uh, like, like if we could conclude that this tool doesn't work and I think it's a mistake, it's a big mistake. Gender equality mainstreaming is a tool and it is also a big process that we need to continue to, uh, to have one day some important changes uh, in mm. our society. They respond to the feminist movements. They respond to the feminist ideals or goals in general that is transforming this war into uh, an equal war for everyone. Uh, started with women, but indeed for everyone. But uh, it seems so like if only to toss it aside, this, this gender equality mainstreaming tool and put uh, instead the feminist adjective, we solve everything. And I think it's yeah. a big mistake. We need to, to have uh, to be careful with that. Uh, and to propose another ways to make uh, a confluence between gender equality mainstreaming tool and feminist perspective. You know, Isabella, like you have touched um, a very important topic about the unilateral initiative from the government. And I think that Mexico receives a lot of backlash because, you know, they have not necessarily approach feminist movements or you know talk with feminists or specialists to do so they're doing it now <laughs> but not when they were you know announcing this initiative but it puts me into question and I don't know much about this topic um, specifically on what happened with the cases of Sweden, Canada and France did they also um, launch their models without any um, participation or, you know, like what you were saying, because for me, foreign policy, I mean, you know, the, the one that I'm more known about is United States. The, femi the, the foreign policy of the United States is conceived by the administration. They don't take, you know, in consideration 
you know, specifically what the civic society has to say about certain issues. They take into consideration what lobbies <laughs> have to say or what people with money or power um, handling, you know, like politicians' campaigns and such and such have to do, but it's mostly based on the promises of each president's campaign. And what I think is different this time around is that the proposal um, that is coming now um, to, to, the, to the Senate and the House of Representatives in the United States that hopefully is expected to take place this year, the resolution for a feminist foreign policy at the US is that I think they, there's this is the result of many years of feminist movements in the feminist foreign policy arena. While when Sweden did it, they went like literally, you know, <laughs> heads first. It's like not necessarily, you know, like having having all these, you know, organizations that are doing reports and are actually writing about what a feminist foreign policy should look like. Um, also, Sweden is different than Mexico in a sense, is that Sweden has, you know, achieved one of the top levels of gender equality for quite some time, feminist movements there, and also because the country is, you know, radically small in comparison with Mexico, you know, it's more easy for feminist values and agenda to take place over a span of 45 or 50 years. While here in Mexico, there's also a lot of education on feminism, but, you know, patriarchal structures or you know the culture may be different i don't know which is the gray area that i want to uh, present to you <laughs> so you can play around <laughs> and teach us more about what's happening here in mexico and um it it also one leads me to ask you this question about gender because you are a specialist on gender masculinities as well as public policy and I find it very interesting, and we have talked to, about this before, how men in power or statesmen um, can announce a feminist foreign policy or can self-proclaim proclaim themselves as feminists, you know, because that's super trendy, et cetera, without actually what you were saying before, actually engaging with what this process really is rather than just seeing as this is a cool adjective that I'm gonna say when I'm launching a model or a plan or a campaign. So I'm just gonna leave you all this playground <laughs> for you to just share what comes up. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Natalia. A big feel. <laughs> I think that it's a very, it's everything is complete, it's complex. Everything, sorry, again, everything is complex, right? And I think that feminist foreign policy processes in those countries where they decided to start uh, have their own complex processes. Uh, and even in Sweden, that maybe we consider that they really advanced in gender equality. They are in general in the top of the rankings about gender equality and all that. We can consider that. They are, um, they, they're having also a big challenges about this topic also. They are not concluded, they're not uh, done in, uh, about feminist foreign policy. 
And as you've said, uh, each process is very different. They have uh, their own stories, uh, they have their own uh, perspectives, and they are their own uh, elements or backgrounds and all that. Since that, I think that uh, I only, uh, I would like to mention only two different cases, the Sweden uh, FFP and the French one. The, as you said, Sweden had a, a feminist foreign policy could be considered as a result of a bigger movement of women and feminists that were participating in a more in a, in a better proportion in the public spaces, in the public decisions, in the in the in the state in general. So it, it was like a, a, a consequence or an extension or a almost natural process, maybe could could consider from, from that bigger movement. I think that it's an ideal in general. We hope that all women in this social movement could achieve all that, that we could uh, occupy other the other fields, every field, and we start with uh, important changes which is also rights. another trap because yes, it's a this patriarchal structure of the state and yes <laughs> yes being there does not mean uh, that we will achieve it just for that just with that action it's all it it's only to start <laughs> we have to start we need to be there after that we need to do a lot of things more and i i agree with that but what i think is that it's a historical process we could not consider that we we will be done in in the short time in general but mm -hmm. what i what I, yes oh sorry is it possible that with this announcement, that historical process that you're referring to, these people in power are trying to advance, but it's not yet the time. I mean, I don't know, like just because it's the wave, it's the trend, everybody's doing it, I'm just gonna jump at it. And regardless of whether or not it's good or not, is it, is, is it ham, harming the, the historical process or is it a result of the historical process in this specific case of Mexico, I'm saying? I think all the above. <laughs> it's very complex. <laughs> I, maybe I couldn't give a, 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 the correct answer or a, a, an absolute answer. Yeah. I, I think for one, in, in one hand, we what we see, even this announcement in the Mexican case, it's a result of how feminism has been getting a, a better perception because um, in other times, but still now, we, we can see many, many places where feminism is a bad thing. And, but what we have now is a, a change, a social change that at least in more spaces we are gaining we are gaining a, a better perception about feminism but it's not that every everyone loves us or something like that it's not true <laughs> but it's different from other times we have uh, more acceptation and all that but i think since that yes it's like a result of this bigger and historical process but 
but I think that we can could not pretend to to skip the 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 social steps with feminists, with women, <laughs> with social bases, because it's like if, if we want to, to be fitness without going to the gym or doing <laughs> exercise or whatever you want to do uh, physically. So I think we need to, to follow a way to, to find or to achieve those goals in general. And this is the same case. And for that, I, I can, I, I consider that the Sweden uh, experience on feminist foreign policy comes with that, comes with the historical movement and the uh, changes within the state and, and all that. They are, they could be better, yes, because we are uh, in front of patriarchal structures, historical structure, we could not I pretend to change them absolutely in one moment or in a short time, of course, but it's a, a, a starting point, I think. And in the other hand, we have the French experience. And one thing that I can, I, I could highlight from the French experience that they didn't name the a feminist foreign policy. They, um, I think, they respected the gender equality mainstreaming tool to put it with more emphasis in the exterior service, or, sorry, in the foreign service. And, and I think that's a, a, a very interesting idea. They are not pretending in the same extent or in the same way than other countries like Mexico that they are feminists just for having, <laughs> for achieving uh, 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 or for addressing the obligation, the legal obligation of doing what we have to do to achieve gender equality. I think it is a, a, a good point that we could highlight from French experience. We also have a lot of challenges in any case, I think. It's, uh, as I said, and I will repeat it every moment, it's a big process and we are on it. <laughs> we are not done. And for that, uh, I, I think that what we have to do in cases as Mexico is, is, that, is to, to respect those legal obligations that we have thanks to women and feminist movements because it, it was really hard to achieve those legal changes. Now we are fighting all days to, to, to comply them. And we, we are not done. Overall in Mexico, we're just in the, in, in the last year, we closed the last year's statistics about femicide with 11 femicides per day in general, like uh, an average. So yesterday, February 1st, was the anniversary of the launching uh, of the general law for um, the right of women for a, a, a life free from violence. We, we uh, it, it was the 14th anniversary of this law this important law that uh, address in an, a, a 
legal instrument that women have the right to have a life free from violence. It is a really important thing. And in the year it was the year it was launched, it was 2007. We had seven femicides per day in average in Mexico. And today we closed 2020 with 11 femicides per day in average. So it's really a challenging our context. And one of the elements that are present in, in this, uh, this unfortunate context uh, for women in Mexico is that misogyny, uh, violence, symbolic violence, and all that comes even from the government. Because while our, our foreign policy minister talks about feminist foreign policy, and that's all what he does talk, <laughs> he talks only about that and put their women in the ministry to work on that. In the other hand, we have a president that deny all the time the problems that women are, we are facing in Mexico, deny the violence uh, uh, during the, uh, the, the sanitary emergency since the last year. He denied that women were calling more for, for telephone services due to violence uh, in, in, at home. So what can we expect if even our, our chief and the government is denying our reality? So for that, I think it puts another very, very important thing in this kind of processes in general, in every public policy, but overall in feminist foreign policy is congruency and accountability with feminist movements, with women, human rights, with um, participation of women in the public processes and all that. I think we need to put that uh, uh, and to highlight that uh, to start uh, looking for what women could apport to those general and public processes for Mexico and for every country, I think. Isabella, um, we are running out of time, but I want to rescue some of the things that you said and maybe do like a final round <laughs> of the playground here. And I'm so excited. I hope that everybody's enjoying this conversation with Isabella because that's like in Spanish, we basically just do the same. It's like we, we go to these realms of just having like our minds explode with all these knowledge so i'm always excited to talk to isabella and so um, happy that she could join us on the podcast in the english language and um we could share and you could see all that she um has research about and i just want to rescue a couple of points the first one is that there are two criticisms on gender mainstreaming gender mainstreaming being you know, part of liberal feminism and how liberal feminism plays a part in the, in the patriarchal as well as the capitalist system. And whether or not we can use gender equality mainstreaming as a tool, as you said, but governments are actually using it as a shield. <laughs> so, you know, all the criticism can be 
um, you know, like tossed aside or, you know, ignored. I often say it in our classes here in our community that is like giving women like a bomb bomb, like a candy, so they could just shut up <laughs> and just continue doing the work, you know? So that's the first criticism that I want to address. The second is the problematic um, experience of what's happening with Canada, what's happening with France, was also happening with the United States incredibly because, you know, even though it's still a resolution and I could say the same with Mexico, but we still don't know because we don't have the plan yet. So I'm just gonna stick with these two, Canada and uh, France, is that they have defined feminism according to the state. It's like the state's view on feminism and is very different from, you know, that simple line of seeking equality for all. It's like, I take feminism to what I like and or old, like stripping feminism towards my convenience and what I want to focus on. And it's just weird because, you know, it's it still perpetuates from a post-colonial point of view. Now that I'm like into that post-colonial and decolonial point of view, it continues this Eurocentric and white feminism view of how foreign policy should be done. And the third um, criticism that I want to address is whether or not a state should answer to feminist movements because I don't see my personal view as well as my research view that the state will answer to feminist movements because it's a whole different structure and it gives me the line to ask you when you were saying about Mexico um, not being congruent or not being held accountable on the public policy level on the administrative level and the foreign ministry level um, to feminist movements or not really listening to feminist movements or feminist activism or fight or struggles, whether or not that's a sign of how ingrained is martial culture here. Because I see, I mean, living here in Mexico for over two, three years now that there's been a lot of spaces for women to talk but it's like the structure itself doesn't listen and they give us all these spaces and they make all these like conferences and webinars <laughs> what do you need it's like do you need space to talk here's the space to talk but you know in terms of action in terms of you know like even rethinking their own masculinities these statesmen or these states people they are not being congruent with all that feminism entails. So I'm just gonna leave that final round and um, I hope that everybody um, enjoyed this conversation. We will list all the articles uh, of Isabella's journey and research on this topic below on the description box. So don't worry about it. You will have a lot to follow her on Instagram and social media. Yeah, thank you, Natalia. Thank you. I think it's very important to address this, uh, this uh, issue because I think we cannot expect something different from patriarchal structures. Uh, I think that yes, we have a very important challenges in, uh, in the experience that we have until now after using the gender uh, equality mainstreaming tool, all those feminist efforts 
uh, in many fields, in many spaces. I think that we have big challenges, but those challenges, I think they are linked uh, with the obstacles that we had already with patriarchal structures. And we have to recognize that a state, the state idea, a structure, a process, uh, persons that are involved uh, at the state or within the state uh, are with a patriarchal um, dynamic and patriarchal ideas and all that. And a hegemonic masculinity is the model of that patriarchy. So we cannot expect something different if the the basis, the the roots are those. So I think it's like, yes, we, we, we can understand why we are facing what we are facing that we are uh, for, for that in, in the first change, in the first political change we could face, we will have a, a backlash with um, the women and gender equality advances. I, I think we had backlash with every political change because in, in political changes, uh, everything uh, gets another form, another, they reorganize it's, uh, they, they themselves, but with this logic, this patriarchal, patriarchal logic for that, it finally in practice, yes, we could consider that happens what you said, that, uh, patriarchal systems give us women candies, like be quiet, everything is good. We won't change uh, uh, in a deep way or structures, but you can participate and all that. Yes, it happened. It happens uh, uh, and unfortunately it's a reality, but I think that it has been really uh, harmful and I think it's part of patriarchy mm -hmm. also that women start to fight about how bad has been the experience, for example, with gender equality mainstreaming tool. Mm -hmm. Because of course it may, it comes in one hand with, from the liberal ideas about feminism and all that, but it's not the only source that we have for that, those tools. We have more, more sources and overall, Everybody has different apports, different like different experience to apport in those processes. And I think that it's very difficult to expect that uh, a, a few groups of, of women and many other, not only women, uh, other people participating in these gender equality processes could achieve a uh, uh, state's transformation, <laughs> a deep transformation. It's a big, I think it's a big challenge to, to assume even. It's very difficult to assume that, that, uh, that homework, <laughs> I don't know how to say. And for that, I think it's, it's really important to not toss aside all these processes, but understand and take what is good for us, what uh, give us an advantage uh, in this historical process, and yes, to uh, improve everything that we are doing. And overall, we we think that uh, women we cannot leave this uh, this trend 
these uh, spaces because patriarchy will always uh, regain if if we lose if we uh, skip or or if we if we take a step back patriarchy patriarchy will gain again mm -hmm. and will gain over the advantage we've got historically so for that i think we have to of course we have to improve everything we are doing uh, as a social movement in general and uh, in practice and within the state and all that but we well i think that we can learn 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 about the experience and improve what uh, our tools or reflections or theories and everything at least uh, i think we always learn from life in general <laughs> so that's that's the final idea and reflection that i i got and uh, during these days and i hope that we could this take challenging it into <laughs> Yes, these challenging days overall, but I think we can take them uh, for its application in other fields, not, not only in the activist field or something like that yeah. in general. Yeah, I think that's also like the invitation is to undertake that feminism, womanhood, women's rights, gender mainstreaming or gender equality, like just engaging in the whole conversation of feminism should invite us to rethink our own relationship towards gender identity, towards what we were taught since we were kids, period. And I think that's the invitation and one of the, the most challenging things that we don't see in statesmen or states people nowadays. They are, you know, creating all these protocols and plans and documents and putting the adjectives as you say, but not necessarily sharing what is their own experience towards this word or towards this process? It's like, you know, they use it as a declaration. Oh, it's, I'm a feminist. And that's in, in itself a statement. <laughs> and that should be enough, regardless of whether or not I live as one. And what does living as one entails? I think that's also another topic of reflection for many of you out there. Um, Isabella, before we leave, we have been talking a lot about this feminist foreign policy in Mexico, but you as a Mexican woman, you have been more than a decade focusing on this topic on gender and public policy. You also have written so many articles, also research about masculinities and the different dynamics of macho culture here in Mexico, as well as Latin America, because I know that you collaborate with Men Engage, with other beautiful networks all across um, this region. And before we leave, I would like to ask you, how has this journey as a Mexican woman changed your life? I mean, why did you decided to focus on this and how has it changed you? <laughs> I think that studying masculinities was a really big, big important thing in my life because I started to see everything different. I I think that uh, studying this field and other like, uh, I don't know, sex, sexual diversity or identities or all that um, help us to, to reivindicate, right? the relate the relational character of gender analysis 
And that is very helpful for the own life. I think it's not only an academic in an academic way, but also in a personal, uh, in the personal experience. I think it's very, very important because sometimes we uh, could uh, fall in the trap, in the patriarchal trap about uh, classifying everything and put it or high, uh, putting everything in a hierarchy like okay uh, we and now I interpret that if uh, patriarchy is about men having power now feminism is women having the same patriarchal power and I think it's a big mistake that we sometimes interpret from from feminism but I think that this kind of uh, of studies, and I don't mean academic studies only, only just reflections about masculinity, about human diversity, about the environment, and about many other fields, help us to better understand how do we uh, uh, have a, an interaction with our world in general. And for that, I think that uh, studying or reflecting on masculinities helped me to understand these patriarchal structures because sometimes from feminisms uh, and from gender theory and all that, we are very focused on how we receive the bad things from patriar patriarchy, for example. And that's true. It's uh, it's or the focus is only on women, which is something yes very like interesting because learning about queer theory, for example, applied to IR. I find that I mean the ones readings that I've you know had the chance to read um, were more you know comprehensive on the whole conversation on gender. It's not you know feminism is only about women or or gender is only about women. It's like it's more. It's it's about like human relationships is <laughs> incredible. Yeah, of course. It's about uh, human experience in general. And I think it's very helpful to, to have those kind of reflections and to link those tools, those uh, perspective tools, or I don't know how to name that, them, how to name that. Uh, but uh, what I'm, I would like to highlight is that it is very important if, if we if we have the opportunity or the intention or the preoccupation about understanding patriarchy, I recommend a lot to understand masculinities, to understand how masculinities configure within the patriarchy. It's, it's a very complex explanation about that. Many of them are very academic, maybe, but I think it's a, a good approach to to close to close or to to link or or all our, our experiences also uh, about what happened in a personal scope with what happened in the public scope, because I think that that's also a, a well like a bias that we have in general that. We, we don't link uh, necessarily uh, that what we experience uh, in a personal way has something to do with what happens in the social uh, scope, like social problems, like 
for example, gender-based violence and all that. So for that, that's my invitation. Uh, can I uh, make a specific invitation? I think an exercise about this, about linking all these approaches, uh, is the Ubuntu Symposium. The Ubuntu Symposium is uh, an international congress about uh, masculinities leading by a men engaged global alliance and it started last year uh, on november and it will continue until july more or less in this year and if you could see the program of the conference it's very very big is i think it's uh, very helpful because they talk about many many topics environment, caring, uh, politics, uh, corruption, uh, fatherhood. Uh, I don't know, a lot of things that uh, we maybe we could consider that it has to be only with uh, men and masculinity studies, but not. I think we have a big field there that we can profit for our own reflections. And I would like to in invite everyone to hear that conversation. We will list all the links for today's episode on the description box, so please be sure to check that out. And before we leave, Isabella, any um, social media where we can follow you? Where are you on Twitter, on Facebook? <laughs> any upcoming projects that you have that maybe we can join and we'll also list? Yes, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, well, I am I am not very present in every social uh, media, but but well, I have a Facebook account. I I will share with you for for the information below. Uh, and well, uh, in my experience right now as a freelancer consultant, I think that it's a very rich experience because I participate with legislative processes uh, such as a caring system in Mexico. Uh, we, we're having a legal change for that, for recognizing a uh, human right of care, of caring, uh, about caring, I think. Uh, also some other pro projects like a parity in uh, enterprises. It's a big, big challenge uh, uh, and a big process. I, I don't know if we will achieve it in the short time, but the debate is on. And uh, also some projects with the National University uh, in Mexico that is facing a very, very difficult process after the Me Too phenomenon. It's very uh, interesting. Uh, and af overall, after the uh, women's stud students uh, strike, it's very, very interesting. So I am very happy to be part of, of these different projects, also projects with public management and all that. And well, I think that I could share uh, many information uh, in my social media and Facebook overall. Okay, perfect. We will list all the social media below. Thank you so much, Isabella, for your time, for all this incredible talk. And um, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks to you, Natalia, and thanks everyone. I hope this 
conversation is useful <laughs> and see you. I, I hope there is another opportunity to continue this talk. Definitely, this has been an incredible conversation. Hopefully, it's going to be one of many, not only on uh, the exploration and uh, the monitoring of what's happening in Mexico, but, but as well in other countries around the world that have feminist foreign policy or feminist recovery plans as well. Um, I'm very excited for what we are building, and I want to thank you so much for all your support to this podcast. We are growing. We are having actual incredible guests coming up. And and it is all thanks to your support. And thank you once again for following us and for giving us feedback. Um, we are excited to listen to your comments on this episode or any of the previous ones. I invite you to follow us on Instagram at womenhood underscore IR as well as click the link on our description box to join our newsletter. We are growing as a podcast and I'm very excited to start, you know, having different mediums of communication, whether or not, you know, I understand that many people don't like social media right now because of everything that's happening out there. Um, so maybe email is the best way to receive notifications or updates on monthly um, ways or bi-weekly um, notifications on the latest episodes for you to check them out and um, yeah I want to say thank you thank you once again for um, joining this podcast and talk to you soon <laughs>